Amen. Well, it's preaching time. If you would take your Bibles, turn over to the book of John. Book of John, chapter 8, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, chapter 8. I invite you to be back tonight for our 5 o'clock service. We have a wonderful Sunday night service, more choir music, more specials, and more preaching. And I encourage you to be back tonight, 5 o'clock. Never know what God's going to do. He's going to do something. Amen. Are, are you, if you're in John 8, stand with me, please, as we stand out of respect for the Word of God this morning. God laid this message on my heart. Uh, I may have been Thursday. Uh, we flew back in Thursday uh, evening from Austin and all day Friday. And just all weekend, this thing has just been sitting on the back burner, smoldering, amen, simmering. And I told Brother Leader, I said, I, I don't know if I'm as ready to preach this as I think I am, but this is what we're this is what we're going to do. I'm just asking God to do a work in our hearts. Uh, I've been amazed at the songs this morning, how they have fit together to go along with this message. In John chapter number 8, beginning in verse number 1, Jesus went into the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they say unto her, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone. And the woman standing in the midst... When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. What a story. For the last three days, I have been living in this story. I've put myself on the sidelines in the crowd. I've put myself in the midst as that woman. I've put myself in the place of Christ. I've looked at this story every which way. And I'm more amazed this morning by this story than I was when I read it the other day. I want to preach on this thought this morning, if the Lord will help me, on this thought, hate the sin, love the sinner. Yeah. Hate the sin, love the sinner. Lord, I pray that you would help me now to write and divide the word of truth. And may I be a voice, may I be an instrument, a conduit in your hand that you can use this morning to work in hearts and lives of people. 
Lord, I've got a lot on my heart. I just only want to say what you want me to say. So I pray for leadership, direction, anointing, and unction. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for standing. You can be seated. Hate the sin. Love the sinner. I want to say this morning that I do not believe there's a conflict with those two things. As a matter of fact, I believe a spirit-filled Christian will know how to do both. There will not be a conflict in the heart of a spirit-filled Christian on these two statements. I believe a spirit-filled Christian needs to do both, and I believe we can do both. You do not have to choose one or the other. When I read this story, I believe Jesus was the epitome of this statement, hate the sin, love the sinner. There's no question in our minds where God stands on the matter of sin. God hates sin. Jesus Christ hated sin. It was sin that put him on a cross. It was the love for the sinner that also put him on the cross. We could spend the entire morning preaching on the sin of adultery, and one of these days you may come in here and I may do just that. The Bible's very clear in Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 14, one of the 10 commandments was very clear. A four-year-old can understand it. Thou shalt not commit adultery. By the way, that's not changed. God's not changed his mind on adultery, extramarital affairs. God's not changed his mind on sexual immorality and purity. God's not changed his mind about those things. Jesus took it a step further in Matthew 5 and 28 when Jesus said, whosoever looketh on a woman and lusteth after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. For those that think the New Testament is a permission slip to sin, you need to understand that under grace, the, the, the standard was raised. Jesus said, and Moses told you, thou shalt not kill, but I say to you that if you hate your brother, you've committed murder already in your heart. Moses said, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you that if you look on a woman and lust after her, you've committed adultery with her already in your heart. He raised the standard, he raised the bar. Excuse me. What really seemed to bother me as I read these verses was that this religious crowd in verse 3 describes that, were the, the, that was that group of people whose occupation and daily task it was to write and copy the scriptures. They're, they were very familiar with the law. They were very familiar with the word of God. These scribes and Pharisees did not care one iota about this woman. You do notice that in the story, do you not? They grabbed this woman, caught her in the act of adultery, set her in the midst. They said, Master, this woman was taken in adultery. What do you think we ought to do with her? With all of their knowledge of the law, with all of their knowledge of right and wrong, and with all of their access to the heart and mind of God, they had no idea how to care for this woman. I've put myself in this woman's place in this story, and every time I do, I start crying. 
She was a prop. She was a, a, a she was a, 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 a just an example. She was someone that they could exploit because they were trying to catch and trap and trick the Lord Jesus Christ in the saying or doing the wrong thing. They were looking to accuse the Lord according to verse number six, but I believe they were also looking to excuse themselves. I want to give you two points this morning. I've got quite a few sub points. We'll put them on the screen so you can write them down if you want to, but two simple points this morning. Number one, we need to hate the sin. You and I as spirit-filled Christians, and God's allowed us to hear several messages here over the last few weeks. I'm thinking back to a Wednesday night message just a few weeks ago when Brother Bittner got up and preached a message on sin that was as convicting as anything I've heard in a while. In the life of a Christian, we have got to learn to hate sin. Quit playing with it. Quit toying with it. Quit allowing Satan to amuse us with sin. We need to have a passionate, fervent hatred of sin. For several reasons, I, I had a list this long. I consolidated it down to just three or four things. We ought to learn to hate sin, number one, because of its premise. The premise of sin, the basis of sin is one of a statement of independence from God and dependence upon self. When we engage in sinful activity, when we indulge in the sin, the premise of that sin is one of self-sufficiency, self-authority, and self-worship. The original sin started in heaven was one of self-exaltation, self-worship, and disregard for God Almighty. In Isaiah chapter 14, Lucifer is being talked about in these verses, and the Bible says in verse 12 of Isaiah 14, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. He didn't have a throne, and you don't either. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. The example of the sin that originated in the heart of Lucifer in heaven was one of self-exaltation, self-worship, and disregard for God Almighty. And every time you and I choose to sin, we are doing the same thing. And we ought to hate it because of the premise, because of the basis, because of the pride that is involved in the decision to sin. Is everybody still with me this morning? When you and I submit ourselves to God, when we allow him to be the Lord of our life and to be on the throne in our heart, we will submit to him and to his commandments and to his precepts and we will yield ourselves to him to be servants of righteousness. But when we sin, what we're doing is we're disregarding God. We're dismissing his word and his commandments and we're doing what we want to do. That's why God hates sin so much. Satan lured Adam and Eve into sin by telling them that they would be small g gods. Did he not? In Genesis 3, 5, he said, For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. 
The very same thing that Lucifer in his heart determined to do was the very lie that he told Adam and Eve to get them to disregard God and his authority and to try to put themselves on equal footing. Is everybody still with me this morning? When we sin, we ignore God. We ignore God's commandments. We become our own authority. We follow our own desires. We feed our own lust. And we don't care what God thinks about it. We should hate sin because of its premise. We should hate sin, secondly, because of its process. See, for us, sin is the end. But for Satan, sin is a means to an end. All you and I see... All Adam and Eve saw was that fruit hanging on that tree, that it was pleasant to the eyes. What they didn't see was what came after that. We get so tunnel vision when it comes to sin. All we can think about is the self-gratification. All we can think about is the fun. All we can think about is the enjoyment. And the Bible is clear that there is pleasure in sin for a season. <coughs> Excuse me. We should hate sin because of the way it works, its process. It starts out small and innocent looking, but it doesn't stop there. In fact, in one place, the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy in verse number 16 and 17, and he said, Shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker or a cancer, we would say. That profane and vain babblings might sound interesting and intriguing. You might want to dabble in it, but he said it will increase under more ungodliness and it will eat like a cancer. That's how sin works. That's how the process works. Starts out small. You could go to Leviticus chapter number 13, and we won't this morning, but in Leviticus chapter number 13, is a very long, detailed chapter about the protocols God set up for the nation of Israel if someone were to have leprosy and develop leprosy and how to recognize it and how to, how to analyze it and how to, how to deal with it and all those things. Fascinating passage of scripture, type in a picture of, of sin. Leprosy is always a type in a picture of sin. But when you read that chapter, it always starts out as a little off-colored spot right below the surface. We all know that's not how leprosy ends. It'll eat you alive to your fingers and toes and arms and nose and ears falls off and it will kill you. Starts out small and insignificant, so much so that you gotta go to the priest and have him look at it and make sure there's something to it. But I'm telling you, it starts out beneath the surface, but that's not where it ends. We ought to hate sin because of its process. I thought as I was reading this story, I'm sure this woman did not set out that day to commit adultery. I doubt very seriously she woke up one morning and said, I want to be an adulteress. I have to assume because of the, the fact that she was committing adultery, either she had a husband or the man she was committing adultery with had a wife or both. But she didn't start out to be an adulteress. As I allowed my mind to just try and put myself in this woman's place, I'm sure it probably started out as just an innocent conversation in the aisle down at Walmart. Maybe even started out just looking at pictures on her friend's Instagram account. I wonder who this guy is. He looks kind of cute. Probably ended up just 
maybe being a text message or a Facebook message to this man. She didn't wake up one morning and said, I want to be an adulteress. It started out innocent, started out fun, started out probably friendly. Sin's a process. Sin is not content with small, little, innocent thoughts and actions, but it keeps on building and getting more and more involved until you are caught fast in the trap. James 1 said it like this, every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Watch this. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. A baby's conceived in the womb of its mother. You don't see it for months. Starts to become more and more obvious. It's conceived, that seed is planted. Then it begins to germinate and to grow, to get bigger and bigger. The Bible says in sin, when, it, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Watch this, and sin when it is finished. See, here's something that God wanted me to tell you this morning, young people. Sin is not gonna be finished when you're finished. You don't get to determine how far it goes. Come on now. Sin has an agenda and it has a process. Lust when it hath conceived bringeth forth sin. Sins when it's finished bringeth forth death. Most people fail to recognize sin starts as a process and does not stop until it is finished. Number three, we should hate sin because of its pretense. Because for Satan to lure you into sin, he's got to lie and deceive you. He cannot and will not tell you the truth about your sin. He'll deceive you into thinking that there will be a different outcome than what actually happens. There were two groups of sinners in this story. We're going to get to the meat of the message here in a minute, eventually. I didn't preach last Sunday night or Wednesday night, so I'm kind of, it's kind of boiling up on the inside of me. There's two groups of sinners in this story. And we see that both of them, no doubt, were deceived by the pretense of sin because it tells you something that's not true. We see this woman, she was the one that was deceived this is the picture of the person that was caught. The Bible tells us she was taken, verse three, in adultery. Verse four, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now there's not a one of us in here in our right mind that think for one second that that woman ever expected to be caught in the sin, the very act of adultery. Sin as a way of making you think you can sin and not get caught. She bought into it. There could have been anybody more shocked than her when they come busting through the door or whatever they did. She thought she was alone with this man. She thought that she was somewhere safe and secure and could satisfy her lust and her desire, play around with this sin and not get caught, yet she did. Why? Because sin comes at you under pretenses. This woman was caught in adultery taken in the very act. Numbers chapter 32, verse 23 says, be sure your sin 
will find you out. There was two groups of people in this story. There was the group that was deceived into thinking that they could sin and not get caught. That was the woman and the man she was committing adultery with. But then you've got this group of scribes and Pharisees standing around them in a circle. That's the group of people that were deceived into thinking that if they didn't get caught, that it wasn't a sin. Let's just let that sink in for just a second. Somehow or another, they had succeeded in convincing themselves that because they had not been caught, that they were righteous. Somehow they had convinced themselves that because nobody had caught them in the very act, that they were good to go. And yet Jesus looked at them and said, let he that is without sin cast the first stone. And the Bible says, starting at the eldest, the oldest one there, this was going through my mind last night as I was laying in the bed. He says, I've got up a lot of mornings, gone to bed a lot of nights. I've lived a lot of days, a lot of weeks, a lot of months, a lot of years. He began to go back and his mind began to take him to the sins that he had committed that nobody caught him in. And I believe with all my heart, he hung his head and he just walked out of that circle of, of people. And from the eldest to the youngest, they began to reminisce and remember the sins that they had committed and nobody knew about, realizing they had deceived themselves into thinking because nobody saw it, that it wasn't a sin. Jesus basically said, you're doing a pretty good job judging this woman doing a pretty good job telling everybody what all she's done wrong. Why don't you take about two seconds and judge yourself for a change? We should hate sin, number four, because of its penalty. They said unto her, them in verse number four, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What sayest thou? Well, the Bible's clear. Lust, when it is finished, bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Romans says, for the wages of sin, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. We ought to hate sin because of the penalty that is attached to it. Is everybody still with me this morning? Proverbs 16, 25, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There is a way that seemeth right unto a woman. There is a way that seemeth right unto a young person, but the end thereof are the ways of death. We should hate sin because of its penalty. I could preach another hour and a half on this point right here, but I'm gonna move to the second half of the message and preach on this thought. Not only should we hate the sin, but we should love the sinner. I'm going to be honest with you. I look around in the world we live in, it's so messed up. It's so fouled up. I find myself guilty sometimes of hating the sinner. 
instead of the sin. Now maybe you wouldn't admit that in a room full of people, but I just did. Last Sunday morning, I preached on it's harvest time. And I preached on the fact that Jesus is coming and the fields are white already in the harvest. And then I went to that missions conference on Wednesday night. And it seems as if God has been breaking my heart and tendering my heart to the the simple truth that the world in which we live in, though they are steeped in sin and though they are wicked and though they are against God, they need to be saved. They need to be saved. And you could say this morning, and I've heard people say, we don't have to love the sinner, we just need to love the one that loved them. But God loves sinners. We love John 3, 16, don't we? When we're putting ourselves in the place of the world, God so loved the world. Oh, that's me, praise the Lord, I'm glad he loved me. But if we're supposed to imitate God and be like God, then how can we not also recognize that we should also love the world? You can't love God and not love the things he loves. I just said it. Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. Are you with me this morning when I tell you that God loves sinners? Jesus loved sinners. In fact, the Pharisees got angry with him a time or two. They said he's a friend of sinners. How could a thrice holy God, how could God manifest in the flesh be a friend of a sinner? That's why he came. Luke 19, 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Why would he leave the 99 in the fold and go after the one lost sheep if there wasn't love in his heart for them? Sister Hutchison just sang that beautiful solo just a moment ago. Calvary was I love you written in red, written in blood. God loves sinners. We should love sinners. I'm gonna give you some reasons right quick. Jot this down. Why we should love sinners We should love sinners because of their bondage. They are slaves to sin. Are y'all getting this this morning? We hear a lot about slavery. We hear a lot about reparations. And Colin Kaepernick just talked about how that playing football in the NFL was like slavery. What an absolute idiot. What an idiot would make a statement like that. Millions and millions and millions of dollars and he was a slave. He don't know the meaning of the word. But if you and I this morning were to see someone in chains, if we were to walk upon a slave market and see people in chains and being bought and sold like cattle, our hearts would go out to them. There would be no part of us that would hate those people. And yet this morning, I tell you, on the authority of the word of God, that a person that's never been born again, saved by the grace of God, is in bondage. They are slaves to sin. And for that reason alone, our hearts ought to go out to them this morning. And we ought to love them. We just had the time to cross-reference Exodus chapter number one, the picture of the nation of Israel under the bondage of Pharaoh, the type and the picture of sin and Satan. 
and the bondage that comes with being an unsaved person, but Exodus 1.14 says they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and all manner of service in the field and all their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. The world today is serving Satan because they are slaves to sin. The children of Israel were bondage to Egypt and to Pharaoh. Galatians 4.3 says, Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Some of you can remember when you were in bondage. Jesus said one of the reasons why I came was to open prison doors and set yeah. captives free. <laughs> Hallelujah. Bondage. We should love them because they're in bondage. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. We ought to love the world and love the sinner because they are in bondage. Number two, we should love sinners because of their burdens. You think you got problems. Come on now. You think you got problems. When we were missionaries in Africa, they didn't come by our, our house and take our trash like they do here in the city. We had to take our trash to the landfill. And I hated going there. I hated going to the landfill in Bloemfontein, South Africa. I'd pull up in there with my pickup truck full of trash and little orphan kids crawl up in the back of my truck start ripping open my trash looking for something to eat. And they were so dirty. God help them. They were so dirty. Their clothes were so filthy. Layers and layers of clothes on. They didn't have anywhere to put their stuff so they just wore it all. At 90 degrees and them wearing sweaters and hoodies and coats and sweaters and layers of clothes and their clothes were black from the filth they were climbing around and climbing through and they had jumped in the back of my truck you didn't have to get out of your vehicle in South Africa and take the trash off of your truck they did it they did it for two reasons they did it looking for something to eat and they did it hoping you'd throw them some change a few coins so they could have something to eat you just back in there and sat there for about five seconds and your truck was empty I'd go back home, one of my kids grumble, complain about something. I look at them and say, You don't have problems. You think you got problems? You got it made in the shade. Compared to how the devil treats his kids. Is anybody still with me this morning? I could read so many verses about burdens. God said in Exodus 6, 5, Wherefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord, I'll bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and rid you of their bondage. And I will take you to be for me for a people, and I will be to you a God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. We ought to have a love for lost people this morning because of the burdens that they are carrying. Burdens, on top of Burdens. I'm reading this passage in John 8. And when they heard it, being convicted by their own conscience. 
What a statement. We could just preach for about an hour on just the burden that the unbeliever has to carry of a defiled conscience, an evil conscience. Being convicted in their heart of their, their, their conscience. And though they try to justify their sin, and though they try to say there's no God, and there's a group of people today that try to say there are no God, they call themselves atheists, agnostics. Down deep inside, God hired, he hardwired us to know that there's a God. And just saying it out loud that there's no God doesn't do away with the inside awareness that there's a God. Read Romans chapter one when you get home. They know. We're spiritual beings. God made us to be aware of the fact that there is a God. They struggle so hard, try so hard, come up with stuff like evolution. Try to explain away the great designer and the creator by saying there was a big bang and that we all just evolved and that when we die, we'll just be like animals in the field. But down deep inside, they know. They know that that won't hold up. They know that their test tubes and their science labs cannot reproduce what they are trying to convince us happened. That's a burden they have to carry every day. You know how heavy a burden it is to try to convince everybody you're a man when you was born a girl? Do you know how stressful that's gotta be? Come on, I'm talking about hating the sin, but loving the sinner. I'm talking about little 12 and 13 year old kids that are being programmed by social media and programmed by the public school and programmed by their favorite actors and actresses uh, to be some sort of a transgender freak of nature. But down deep in their heart, they know, they know, they know. And that burden they have to live with. And that's one reason why I'm so convinced the LGBTQ community and the transgender community is so full of hatred is because they're trying so hard to convince us that they're right when they know they're not right. They know they're not right. It goes against nature, the Bible tells us. It's unnatural. Try to do something unnatural for five minutes and see how it feels. Try walking on your hands. Try standing on your head. It's a burden. And I don't think there's any conflict in the people of God hating the sin and still loving the sinner. I thought about this. You and I fight. We'll deal with burdens. But we have someone to help us carry our burden. Jesus said, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly, and you shall find rest for your soul. But the unbeliever doesn't have anybody to help them carry their burden. We have the Lord to help us carry our burden. We have each other. Come on now. Bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. God has set it up where the child of God has it easy compared to the unbeliever. We should love them because of their burdens. Thirdly, we should love sinners because of their battles. You know the battles you fight, the battles you face. You know how you fight your flesh and you fight self and you fight sin and you fight Satan. The difference in us and them is we've got help and they don't. 
when the devil comes after us. When our flesh rises up, when our old carnal man rises up, we've got resources and we've got help. Are y'all listening to me? We've got help. We can go find help and mercy in the, in the throne room of God when we have a time of need. Where are they gonna go? Fighting the battles all alone. We've got the Son of God interceding for us. The Bible says he ever liveth to make intercession for us. And we got the Holy Spirit of God interceding for us to help us and to succor us and to assist us. And they do not have any help. The sinner has to fight the battles alone. Why do you think suicide rates are out the roof? People jumping off of buildings, overdosing on drugs. Come on now. People are killing themselves. They can't take it anymore. The bondage is overwhelming and the burdens are overwhelming and the battles are overwhelming. They just get tired of fighting. If we don't love them, who will? Do you have any idea how many unsaved people try to stop drinking every day? Do you know how many lost people go to AA meetings? And they want to stop drinking so bad. By the way, you know how many lost people go to drug rehabs? They're so sick of spending their paycheck on that meth and that heroin and that cocaine. They're tired of being broke. They're tired of not having no food in their clothes. The kids not having no clothes. They're tired of it. But they're lost and they don't have any help to fight the battles. How can the church of God, how can the church of God be right with God and turn their nose up at people that need help? We can hate the sin and I hate drugs, I hate alcohol, I hate liquor, I hate all that stuff, but my heart goes out to those people walking down Nundock Avenue, staggering and falling over in the street and, and all curled up under the park bench. They need help. They need God. They need God's people to love them. We should love sinners because of their brokenness. A sinner is a life that is broken and scarred and marred by sin. The devil's chewed them up and spit them out. Yes, sir. I joke with people all the time. People tell me, preacher, you don't look 49 years old. You look, you look young. And I say, I appreciate that. Try to live right. But I know people younger than me look old enough to be my mama. I know people younger than me look on to be my daddy because Satan, he treats his kids like trash. And they're so broken. You've seen the before and after pictures of these meth addicts. Six months, one year, two years on meth. They look like it's aged them 20 years. They're broken. They're broken. Mental illness, in and out of mental hospitals. They can't find anywhere to sleep, can't find anywhere to stay, can't find nobody to help them. When they find somebody to help them, they cut their throat and steal from them and lie to them and burn that bridge and it's just one vicious cycle after another. I hope Calvary Baptist Church is getting my heart this morning. Can you imagine the level of deception and confusion in the mind of somebody that don't know God? If Christians can be deceived, 
And Christians can get confused. How deceived and confused can an unbeliever get that doesn't have the entrance of his word to give light, that hasn't had their understanding enlightened by the Holy Ghost? How confused and con how, how distorted. I mean, you know, when we read the news, when we see what's happening in this country, our country's being run by people who have no understanding of God or of common decency. We get aggravated at them because they haven't read the Constitution. Man, that's the least of their problems. They don't know God. We got judges sitting on benches that thinks they're giving righteous judgments that are 180 degrees opposite from God Almighty, the righteous judge, because their mind and their hearts have been darkened. They're aliens from God. We can get mad at them if we want to, but we ought to love them because they need to be saved. I need this message. If nobody else does, y'all just sit and listen while I preach to myself for a little while. Because I get so mad, I want to fight. And I realize they're lost. They're lost. Let me give you one more point. Can you handle one more? We should love sinners because of their banishment. Without someone to love them and win them, they will never be allowed to enter into the beautiful heaven that we sing and preach about. And boy, I love preaching about heaven. I love singing about heaven. I love singing about heaven. I wrote that song the youth choir sings and I love it every time they sing in a place called heaven. Beautiful heaven. But do you realize that all these people that you and I sometimes get mad at are not going to be allowed in unless they get saved. Now I know this is, this is elementary preaching. This is not a deep doctrinal message this morning. But they will be forever banished from the gates of heaven from that holy city that we read about in Revelation, streets of gold and gates of pearl, the river flowing, and no sun there, there's no moon there, there's, there's no night there. No more pain, no more sickness, no more crying, no more death, no more sorrow, no more sea. And these people that we get aggravated and frustrated with will never be allowed to go there unless somebody loves them and tells them that Jesus loved them and that God loved them. I was reading Revelation chapter number 23, 21, verse 23, and the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And we could run laps, we could run all the way to Goobertown, Arkansas, and back, thinking about how wonderful heaven is. And all the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. The gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. Wow, isn't that wonderful? Here's the next verse. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. You go further down to chapter 20, Revelation 20, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Are y'all understanding my heart this morning that we need to hate the sin but love the sinner? They're going to spend eternity in the lake of fire if we don't love them. He says it's hard to love them. I didn't say it was going to be easy. But if he commended his love toward us while we were yet sinners, I think we should work on loving the sinner and hating the sin. I wonder this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed if there'd be somebody in the service 
You need to get in this altar. Maybe God spoke to your heart during that first point about hating the sin. You hadn't hated sin. You think because nobody knows that it's not even a sin. You think you can sin and not get caught. Not understanding that it's a process. You need to get in this altar. This, and I could have preached a whole lot more about the story. Jesus looked at her and said, go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn thee. He came out into the world to condemn. We were condemned already. And I could have used a half a dozen passages of scripture, but this passage spoke to my heart about this adulterous woman that nobody cared about except Jesus. He cared about her. You may be here this morning and God spoke to your heart about having a love, the right attitude towards the sinners. Ask God to help you compartmentalize. Hate the sin, but love the sinner. They don't know. Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Another place in the scripture says that if they had known who he was, they would not have crucified the Son of God. They didn't know who he was. The world doesn't know how wrong they are and how bad off they are, but we do and we need to help them. We need to pray for them. Try to win them. Ask God to give us a heart for souls, a heart for the sinner. Instead of cussing them and fussing at them, maybe we ought to try to win them to Christ. There may be somebody here this morning, say, Pastor Shithlin, I'm not sure if I died right now that I would go to heaven. I hope I would, I think I would, but I don't know for sure that I'm saved. I'd like for you to remember me in prayer. Would you be honest enough this morning, right where you're sitting with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you slip your hand up, preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. Please pray for me. Anybody, anywhere, please pray for me. I'm not sure I'm going to heaven when I die. We would love to help you this morning. If you're watching the service on the live stream, there's a phone number on the screen right now. For those of you that are watching, if you'll text that number, say I need to talk to somebody, we will call you in just a little bit with a Bible and do everything we can over the phone to try to help you. It's our desire this morning to help you. We love sinners at Calvary Baptist Church because all of us are just sinners saved by grace. We see these on the streets, but for the grace of God, there goes us. And many of you can remember when you were in the ditch, when you were in the muck and the mire and the hog pen. Jesus came to where you were and he saved you and he changed you, transformed your life. What a shame it would be for God to come and see us in that condition and love us and save us and change us and then us not do the same for others.